are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, in Proverbs chapter 14, we continue on in studying about the life of skill. And, of course, this is a larger section of the Proverbs where you have a collection of various Proverbs and sayings that are compiled and placed uh, together, not necessarily always thematically, but a scattering of the wisdom of Solomon uh, as given to him by God. Now, the first proverb in verse one of chapter 14 says, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Now, in Proverbs nine, we actually saw wisdom and folly personified as wisdom. But here we actually have literal women, one of them wise and one of them foolish. And the wise woman, apparently, she builds her house. And this likely refers to the flourishing of a household, not the building of a physical house, but a home that is uh, flourishing and alive, where uh, the the different parties within the house are functioning well together. There's a spirit of grace and gentleness rather than a spirit of legalism. There's wise stewardship and good spending rather than uh, living uh, from paycheck to paycheck or uh, living based off of desires rather than needs. There's a submission. There's a gentleness. The wisest of women, she builds her house. But folly, with her own hands, tears it down. And of course, folly tears down her home through sin. Uh, Some of that sin, of course, can be neglect or laziness. It can be indebtedness, self-centeredness, bad counsel, emotional logic. The foolish woman can tear down her home with many different means. And so Solomon here is advocating building a home with wisdom. Whoever, verse 2, walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. Now, here you have uh, the internal attitudes of the upright and the devious. The upright person internally has a reverence for God. They fear the Lord. But the devious person inside of their heart, he says, despises him. In other words, what you could say is a person's internal attitude about God will manifest itself in behavior. So when you see a person who is devious, when you see a person who is uh, not only, you know, giving in to temptation here and there, but is persisting in it and seeking to uh, even at times cover it up, what you know about that person internally is that there is not a fear of the Lord, no matter what they say about the Lord, but in actuality, they despise the Lord within their hearts. But when you see a person who is walking in uprightness, Solomon says, generally speaking, what you have is a person who internally has a reverence for God. They love Jesus. This is part of the reason why a proclamation of the message of the gospel consistently 
and repetitively is so important in a local church because the more a person glories in the cross of Christ, the more that inside of their hearts they fall deeply in love with Jesus and what he has done for them and the shedding of his blood for their lives, the more this becomes a reality and a repeated refrain within a human heart, then the more internally their internal attitude about God is going to be one of a reverence for the Lord. And that reverence will manifest itself in behavior that is, in general, more upright than devious. He goes on to say in verse 3, By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. So the mouth of the fool, what he brings upon himself, is actually a rod for the back. Uh, But then someone who speaks well, they have wisdom, they actually preserve their own lives and escape much discipline and punishment because they've used their words well. Uh, So the mouth of the fool is being warned about here and the mouth of the fool actually bringing difficulty upon their own lives. Where there are no oxen, verse 4, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of of the ox. Now, this has always been one of my uh, favorite proverbs. I think in part because I am naturally drawn to the clean manger. You know, things being nice and tidy and in order. And, and I think that there is a way to organize your life and protect margin in your life and things like that. But I am just kind of one of those people that's naturally drawn to I think, the clean manger. But here what Solomon introduces is the concept that, hey, you can have that, a clean manger, if you have no oxen. But know this, abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. There are times where you have got to get your hands dirty. And there are times where you need to work with people who create maybe a little bit of a unclean manger, a a few messes. Uh, However, there will be fruit that comes as a result of that person being involved uh, in your life. Or perhaps there are times where we make decisions that make our lives a little messier, but actually the thing that we've committed to is going to lead to great fruit within our Uh, So perhaps taking risks at times, maybe even taking risks on certain people, much crops or abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. A faithful witness, verse 5, does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. Now, when you have uh, a society that is this way, where you have Faithful witnesses are on the decrease, but false witnesses, they're just breathing out lies. It's just kind of the atmosphere that is now created, a bending of the truth, a uh, falsifying of reality, a uh, you know withholding of the truth, a breathing out of lies. When that is found in abundance in a society, then you'll have a society that is simply immersed in litigation. So it just slows down a society. It slows down 
a family to have lies that are being breathed out. It just creates a toxic environment. Verse 6, a scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Now, this is interesting because you have the scoffer, and it actually says there that they seek wisdom. But the thing is, they seek it, Solomon says, in vain. In other words, the scoffer is not actually there for learning, even if he appears to be. No, his scoffing, his rejection of God and his law actually keeps him from legitimately receiving wisdom. He's not a teachable person, but a man of understanding, a wise person, knowledge comes easy for them. They are more able to receive it and then apply it because of the humble heart that that a wise person must have. In part, what we would say here is that when it comes to wisdom, we aren't credited for attendance, but we are credited for the application of the wisdom that was then given. Leave, verse 7, the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. And so here we have uh, an actual imperative, a command that is given to leave. And where you're to leave is from the presence of a fool. And so often people will stay. Uh, They won't leave. Sometimes this uh, happens in a relationship. Someone is has bound themselves to another person who is actually espousing foolish doctrine or foolish practices or foolish lifestyles. And as they're in that relationship, they do not leave and it ends up destroying their lives. Sometimes, however, it will be an instant or a moment of foolishness that begins to come upon the conversation or the room. And in those moments, it is better for us to depart. It is better for us to leave. So often people have a tough time leaving, but it is better because there, he says, you do not meet words of knowledge. The wisdom, verse 8, of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Uh, The prudent person is able to think things all the way through, is what Solomon is saying. But the fool only has wisdom or insight into life that goes so far. Things that they do seem to work initially, but there's not a lot of thought as to what is coming the day after, the week after, the month after, the year, the decade later. That isn't given much thought, but the prudent person discerns their way. They are thinking about what is coming in the future. Fools, verse 10, mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. Now, the guilt offering was given by God to ancient Israel as a way to deal with the inevitable sin that they would commit from time to time. And a guilt offering would be a way for them to come clean about it, to confess their sin, and to deal with it. And what he says here is that fools mock that concept. Fools mock the idea of making amends for sin. So when God in the New Testament gives us the gift of confession to one another, that is you confess your sins to one another, uh, he will 
forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Fools would mock at the concept of making amends for sin. But righteous people, upright people who have accepted that it is good to make amends, they enjoy acceptance. They receive acceptance from God and from man. The heart, verse 10, knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. You know, the truth is that the bitterness of your heart or my heart and the joys of your heart and my heart, although we can have fellowship with one another and although we can communicate to one another, these joys and these moments of bitterness cannot be fully experienced by anyone else. In other words, we are the only one. And I think that this is helpful to us to understand a proverb that forewarns against any forced attempts to express empathy, where we say, I know what you're going through, or I know what that is like. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with a person who, as you are maybe sharing a, a difficulty or even sharing a joy, there is almost an immediate response of, yeah, that reminds me of a time when I, and as they're sharing, you say, I don't think that that describes what I'm facing really at all. Uh, it's a temptation within the human heart to want to force ourselves into being able to relate. But we need to know so often that we cannot. We're all made differently in the, in, uh, by God. He's designed us with different circuitry in the way that we process things. So the same trial can be faced by, this, by two different people in two entirely different ways. Now, the beautiful thing, however, is that Jesus can know our bitterness and Jesus can know our joy. He was made like his brothers, Hebrews 2 verse 17, in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He himself suffered when he was tempted and so he's able to help those who are being tempted. I believe that on the cross, Jesus as he atoned for the sin of the world, he came face to face with our weakness, with our sin, with our suffering, with our pain. And I believe that he knows the bitterness and he knows the joy to a greater degree than you and I will ever know it. The house, verse 11, of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Here we have a general statement from Solomon that upright living generally produces a flourishing life. There is a way, verse 12, that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The reality is that much sin will feel very natural. It will feel very natural. It will feel right to a man. It will feel good. It will feel innate. But in the end, its way is the way to death. It consumes a person entirely and eventually kills them. So it might seem right, but it is not right. Even in laughter, verse 13, a heart may ache and the end of joy may be grief. Uh, this, I think, speaks 
to the mixed emotions that so often happen in life. That there you are in a moment where something is cracking you up. It, it brings laughter. But even though you're laughing for a moment, the seat of your emotions, the bottom of your heart is experiencing heartache. And there might be times where you're experiencing great joy, but the reality is there is grief that is down within. And this is why knowing other people is so important because you need to have people in your life who will ask and that you will ask, how are you really doing? Because what a person appears to be is so often not what's happening at the core, the center of who they are. The backslider, verse 14, in heart, will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. So this is sort of a repetition of the Galatians 6, 7, and 8 principle that what a man sows, he will also reap. The simple, verse 15, believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts gives thought to his steps. So to believe everything and then to walk in it is to let others control your life. The simple believes everything, but the prudent person gives thought to everything that he hears and owns his life. One who is wise is cautious, verse 16, and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. So in general, caution uh, is... uh, the way to go. But there are times, of course, where Jesus will give a boldness to us that isn't careless and isn't foolishly reckless, but takes us in our trust in the Lord through the caution into risk with Jesus, which is not risk at all. A man of quick temper, verse 17, acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Here you have a person who is angry, the man of quick temper, and scheming evil devices. And one produces foolish actions. The anger produces foolish actions. And the evil scheming produces hatred from other people. Now, anger is one of those things that God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, must deal with in the heart of a man or the heart of a woman, down at the very core of who a person is. We're not to be quick in our spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9. We're to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, James 1, 19 to uh, 20. So there's the, the importance of understanding the potential in a negative way of what anger can do in a person's heart. This is why by the power of Jesus, we must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Colossians 3 verse 8. The simple verse 18, inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. So the gullible, in other words, the simple, they believe everything, they inherit folly. Verse 19, the evil bow down before the good, the wicked at the gates of the righteous. So the evil bow down. The the figure here is of a conquered people who are kneeling before their victors, awaiting their commands. And what, what Solomon is announcing to us is that at the end of all of this, there will be a moment 
where the evil will bow down before the good. In other words, it will all make sense at the end. In, in the modern moment, in our current atmosphere, we might have moments where we're confused by the prosperity of the wicked, but trust in the Lord. The day is coming when he will sort all things out. The poor, verse 20, is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor, verse 21, is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. And so you have these cancerous social problems, someone just disliking a poor person because he's poor and someone liking a wealthy person because they have great friendships. And uh, so uh, it's better to ignore what is societally advantageous and it's to bless the poor because God who sees in secret will reward you openly. Do they, verse 22, not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. So this is the level of righteousness that Jesus wants to produce in us. Not just the avoidance of evil, but the devising of good. So often people forget this when they talk about sin. They think of sin only as those things that God has forbidden us to do that we sometimes do. But the reality is, is that God is perfect and pure and holy. And he not only abstains from evil, but he always does that which is good. And what we want as believers is for Jesus to so fully work within our hearts that eventually there is this thing within us where we are devising good, not just abstaining from bad things, but devising the right things and the good things. In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So hard work leads to profit, but talk without action, he's saying, leads to uh, poverty. The crown, verse 24, of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. So here you have the wealth of those who have lived wisely. Their crown, he says, is their wealth. And remember, these are generalities from the Proverbs. And in the Bible, we discover that money is neither good nor evil, but it's neutral. It's all about whose hands the money is in. In an evil person's hands, it can be used as an instrument for evil. And in a righteous person's hands, it can be used as an instrument for righteousness. And in, of course, the Bible, there are plenty of fine and good and wonderful people who had great means. You see this constantly in the Old Testament era in the nation of Israel, but you do see it as well in the New Testament era. Barnabas, Lydia, early church members, even Paul himself were people who at least at one point in their lives had great means. And here what he's announcing is that there are times where as a person just lives wisely before God, they invest faithfully, they aren't spending extravagantly, and they're walking with the Lord, treating people well, treating employees well, things like that. Eventually, a crown for that wisdom could be the wealth that they receive as a result of their wise living. Now, of course, we would never say that all wealth is a result of wise or righteous living, but apparently there is some wealth that is. A truthful witness, verse 25, saves lives, 
but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. So this is important when we consider some of the hard truths of Christianity. A truthful witness saves lives. There are some doctrines within uh, Scripture that, uh, honestly, people stand to gain to have great gain by bending those doctrines and ignoring those uh, truths. But as they begin to breathe out lies, uh, le- breathe out lies, they're actually deceiving people and they're not saving lives. A truthful witness, someone who shoots straight, tells the truth as it is biblically, is saving lives. In the fear of the Lord, verse 26, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. You know, living in the home of a man who has great reverence for God, really fears the Lord, is for children a great blessing and really is a house that is a complete refuge, a place of rest, a place of joy, a place of satisfaction. Uh, Because they're not worried about what the man is going to say. They're hearing him apologize, come under the correction of the Lord. It's a safe environment for them to live in and exist in because of his personal relationship and walk with God. The fear, verse 27, of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So this fear of the Lord, this reverence of God, it produces strong confidence, family security, and here he says life. It's just an everlasting well of life flowing out of their hearts. In a multitude of people is the glory, verse 28, of a king, but without people a prince is ruined. So here you have uh, the understanding that a prince's power varies with the size of his empire. So political power and all of that based on the number of people in the party. And so the reality is, I think Solomon is here saying is, you know, as king, which he was, he's saying, I try to remember the people. I am nothing without the people. They are the ones actually who make me who I am. And so many in leadership forget the very people that they are leading. Whoever, verse 29, is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So great understanding is someone who is slow to anger. Because there's a lot that can frustrate a person about the world that we are living in. But when you understand that we're living in a broken world, when you understand that outbursts of anger are not effective in the long run, when you understand that you are not without flaw within yourself, and when you understand that the tendency to anger actually reveals your own brokenness quite often, when you understand these things, you become slow to anger. A tranquil heart, verse 30, gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So when a person has an internal health, Solomon says something that is actually very advanced. He announces when a person has inward peace or inner peace, it actually can manifest itself in physical health. But when a person has inward turmoil, it can actually give them rotting bones or external 
unhealth. And we've discovered this more and more in our modern era that how we are doing inner in inwardly uh, really can manifest itself in some of the sicknesses and uh, physical consequences. And so we want to be healthy people internally. Whoever, verse 31, oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. And so here we have the doctrine of creation making its practical outworking. Uh, You oppress a poor man, you're insulting the maker of that poor man. The wicked is overthrown, verse 32, in his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. And so God is the refuge of the righteous. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. It actually becomes part of you. It's in the heart. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding. It just becomes who you are. Righteousness, verse 34, exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And this has been seen throughout human history. When you watch a nation embrace unnatural sexual desires, calling them good, when you see a nation who uh, accepts the uh, murder of babies and abortion, when you see a nation where there's corruption and greed and gluttony and suppression of the poor and class warfare and worship of entertainment and entertainers, you know that the opposite of exaltation is in store. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin, it's a reproach to any people. A servant, verse 35, who deals wisely has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. You find the king's favor, Solomon is saying, through wise living. And so, Proverbs 14. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.